Well, friends, if you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 1 as we continue our series through the Gospel of Mark. And this is a really remarkable passage that we have this morning where we get a glimpse into a a day in the life of of Jesus Christ at the very beginning of His ministry. Now, we're going to consider this, this passage here beginning in verse 29. Uh, So I'm going to read for us Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. Hear now the word of the Lord. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed with demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he heard, uh, he healed uh, many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, you are the great healer, and we thank you for that. And as we consider this text and uh, many more passages like this to come in, in Mark's gospel, where you, you demonstrate your power to heal, and we know that many of us struggle with sickness, many of us uh, need healing. And so as we consider passages like these, Lord, help us not to despair, but rather by your Spirit, Help us to see your heart in these passages. Help us to believe in the message that you came to proclaim, which you show us yourself in in this passage this morning, that this message is more important than any physical healing. So give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear now, we pray. In your holy name, amen. Well, we are at a pivotal time in Jesus' ministry as we get to this passage. He has just be, begun his ministry now, and uh, he's getting ready to make a decision. So let's recap where we've been. Jesus has been baptized by John in the Jordan River. The Spirit anointed him for ministry. He was, he was sent out on mission, immediately cast into the wilderness, into a desolate place, where he was tempted and succeeded in those temptations. He resisted the devil. He proved himself to be the Messiah. And now, his ministry has officially begun, and we saw that at uh, verse 14. Jesus begins his ministry. We saw the summary of that ministry, the message about the kingdom of God, that it's at hand to repent and believe in the gospel. And after that, like every good rabbi, every good teacher, he needs some students. So he goes out and he calls uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John. He calls them to come and follow him, to learn from him, to be his students, to be his disciples. 
And so with these four new disciples, he goes into the synagogue on that Sabbath day, and he preaches. Not only does he preach, but he preaches with authority, and then he backs up that preaching with the authority of casting out that unclean spirit. And so everyone is in shock on that day, including his disciples. What kind of teacher did they just agree to follow? And that's where we are this morning. That is the beginning of his ministry. And what we're going to see this morning is that his ministry is about to take off. It's about to explode. And decisions are going to need to be made. This is a pivotal point in his ministry. Which way is it going to go? His disciples have a few ideas of their own. They, they have visions of a very lucrative ministry ahead of them in Capernaum. But Jesus has a different. He has an eternal ministry in mind. So that's what we're going to see this morning and many other weeks as we go through these stories of these amazing healing miracles. But these stories, these are mirrors into our own hearts. Stories like this show us what's in our own soul. Are we like the disciples? Do we see Jesus as, as a means to an end? Or do we see him as, as serving some other purpose for ourselves? that we can get something out of? Or do we love Jesus? Do we see Him and do we want Him for who He is in and of Himself? That's why Mark puts these stories, these these healings, right next to this account of, of Jesus going up to pray and of His conversation with the disciples. It can seem interesting that He would have these two things right next to each other. You know, if healing was the primary thing, If healing was the primary thing, I'm going to adjust this just a little bit. There we go. If that's what he came out to do, you could anticipate his answer to the disciples. He could say, yeah, let's go back to Capernaum because there might be many more people we need to heal. That's not what he says. Christ cares much more about our spiritual health than he does our physical health. Not to say he's not concerned with our physical well-being. But we see here the priority that Jesus places on the spiritual mission to which he's been sent. He went away to pray in order to prepare himself for his mission. The mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God to everyone. Not just Capernaum, not just in this small town, but to every town that he would come to. That is the healer's message. Yes, I am able and powerful to heal, but I offer you a deeper healing. That's his message. So let's go through these 11 verses together. We're going to look at them in order. And this is one day in the life of Jesus. Afternoon, evening, and then the next morning as he begins his ministry. And our story then, it picks up on this Saturday afternoon as they got home from the service that day. So that's the first part of the story, verses 29 through 31. This is the afternoon meal. So clearly it was not potluck Sunday or potluck Saturday, I should say, at the synagogue. So they were going home, and they were going home to to share a meal together. And you you can see Simon Peter's excitement. He's so excited to have Jesus come over after everything he'd witnessed that morning at the synagogue. 
Jesus, you have to come home. You have to come over and have, uh, have a meal at my place. So that's the plan. Simon and all the rest with Jesus, they, they come and enter his house. But like happens so often, not everything goes according to plan. We see that Simon's mother-in-law is, is there uh, with them. We don't know if she's visiting. We don't know if she's living there. Either way, Simon's, you know, having a bad time, right? No. We don't know. We don't know what the situation was. But we know that she is sick. And we don't know if they found out that day. We don't know if they came back and they found out she's sick and not able to, to serve or do anything. Maybe she was living there, and I think this is probably most likely. She had been there and maybe even moved in so that they could take care of her. And she had been plagued with this fever. That She had been plagued with this sickness that doesn't seem to go away. This was their, their new normal as Simon and his wife cared for his mother-in-law. And so that's all the more reason then, when we think about it, that Simon would have pleaded, wanted Jesus to come. Please uh, come and spend time with us this afternoon, because he's seen everything that he just did in the synagogue, and maybe he could do something for them as well. And so we're told once, when they, as, once they arrive, they immediately go and tell Jesus about uh, her and bring, her, uh, bring him to her. And Jesus comes to her bedside takes her by the hand and says that he lifts her up out of bed. And as he lifts her up out of bed, it's as if the fever stays right where it was. The fever's gone. Completely healed. The fever left her. It it forsook her. It's no longer anywhere near her. It's gone completely. There was not an ounce of fever left in her. I don't know, we could ask uh, Clint or Craig, I don't think you measure fever in ounces, but there was not a single bit of fever left in her that day. Not a particle, not a single bit of sickness. Because Jesus does not heal partially. And Jesus does not save partially. But when he saves, he saves completely. And here he heals completely. It reminded me of a couple months ago when I had that bad cold and I had to call in sick and I had Pastor Aaron Rains from, from Bentonville come up and preach uh, for us that Sunday. And even that following Sunday, as I came back, I still wasn't 100%. And, and as the service kept, uh, as it went on and on, and it was a reminder that I really should stop talking and let these people go and I can go as well because my voice just wasn't there. It was lingering. It takes a long time for us to get over these things. But that's not what happened here. She had no cough. She had no sniffles or a stuffy nose. She had none of that. Nothing lingered from her. She was not 80% working her way up and I'll be better probably next week. That's not what happened. Fully healed. She was healed so quickly, she was healed so completely that we're told in verse 31 that she was able to get up and start serving, start helping out with the meal, doing what she had wanted to do this whole time but wasn't able to, but now she can because Christ had healed her. 
we all know how quickly things can go uh, from good to bad. It just takes one phone call, one moment, one accident, one evening where someone crashes into your car. We know that feeling of even getting sick and you're sitting there at night and you feel it in the back of your throat and you think, of course I'm getting sick right now. It's the day before we plan on going on this trip, whatever it might be. We know how things can go from good to bad so quickly. It just takes a moment. But right here, right here, Christ gives us a picture of our future with Him. And this is our future, is when everything, in a blink of an eye, will go from bad to good. This is Christ's ministry. His earthly ministry is a picture of our future destiny that's bursting forth into the present. Christ's ministry is the future bursting forth into the present, where we know that He will make all things new. And this is just a glimpse of that. In the blink of an eye... Everything will be made new. Everything bad will be turned to good. So much so that these light and momentary afflictions that Scripture describes them as, they will hold no weight in comparison to the weightiness of the glory that is to come in Christ Jesus when He returns. Kids, do you know what the word glory means? Do you know what that word means? It comes from the word heavy. It comes from the word weighty. So when you hear the word glory, when you hear us talk about how God is glorious, how He's majestic, how He's worthy of all of our praise, I want you to think of that weightiness. Think of how how heavy that is. Something so, so powerful and so, so mighty that we're not even able to pick up. And that's how glorious, that's how wonderful our future with Christ will be. That's the afternoon in the life of Jesus. That's the first thing we see. Let's look at what happens on the evening as the story continues. We don't know how they spent their afternoon, but I'm sure it was full of laughter and joy. How could it not have been? Everyone was feeling good. It was a great time. The house was rocking. Things, things were going well. Everyone was having a great time. So much so that the neighbors were probably wondering, what's going on down at, at Simon's house, down the street? Certainly word had gotten out about the morning at the synagogue. And maybe even some news had already broken about how Simon's mother-in-law was feeling better as well. And so that's why that evening, at sundown, there come several knocks at the door. So it's still Saturday. In the Jewish, uh, uh, in their system, uh, days were counted from evening to evening. So the Sabbath day was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And so now it's sundown. It's evening, it says, on Saturday. So the Sabbath is over. And so now everybody's coming. And right away, right here, we get a little glimpse of the spiritual state of the of the Jewish people, or out of fear of possibly doing any work on the Sabbath, they wait until sundown 
before they come to seek healing from this wonderful healing miracle worker. We're going to talk more about the Sabbath as we keep going through. Jesus will will talk to them and, and address this spiritual state that they're in. And we'll talk about that later, especially in chapter 2 as it comes up. But here the people are. They're all crowding around the house. It says that they brought to Jesus everyone who was sick or demon-possessed to the point that in verse 33, it says that the whole city gathered at their house. Now, Capernaum, we don't know exactly how big it was. It was not a huge city by any means. It was a a very uh, 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 well-off village. It was on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was right there on the north. I saw estimates that put the population somewhere 1,200 to 1,500 people. So 1,000 people, still a lot of people, coming and crowding around the door. Can you you imagine? Can any of us here, can we fit 1,000 people in our homes? Can you imagine 1,000 people coming and crowding and knocking at your door? They brought all the sick, all the needy to him. And he heals them from every kind, every various kind of disease. He casts out many demons, it says. But he would not let any of the demons speak because they knew him. In Luke's account of this story, it says that the demons were, were trying to say that you are the Son of God, but he did not permit them to speak because he has absolute authority to shut their mouths. It was not time for him to be revealed to the people. And Jesus' ministry would happen on his terms. So he permits them not to speak. But can you picture the excitement that was happening in Capernaum that, that night? Everybody crowding around. There's no doubt a long, long night for Jesus. He was busy that evening caring and healing these people. He was up late, and I'm sure he did not get much sleep that night. And that's why in the third thing we see, we are told in the next section that he still got up very early the next morning. So let's turn our attention out of this final part of the story. This is going to tie it all together for us. We are told in verse 35, that he got up very early in the next morning while it was still dark. All right, who here are, are you a morning person? Does this sound good to you? Are there any morning people? In this? All right, there's, there's a few people that are lying. Okay, I see you. I, I don't believe that there's any morning people. Sarah, I believe you that you're a morning. Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Oh, that sounds horrible. But he got up after what could not have been many hours of sleep. Could not have been many hours, not more than a few. But he still got up and he left and he went to a desolate place to pray. What an incredible thing that we read. Jesus had just finished preaching the best sermon that was ever heard in that synagogue the day before. Then he cast out that demon from that man who, who knows how long that man has been afflicted by that demon in the synagogue. He casts it out. He goes home. 
heals Simon's mother-in-law, heals practically the entire city of Capernaum. If there's anybody that had it all together, together. if there's anybody that deserved a, a day to sleep in, if there's anybody that we could say, you know, I think he has pretty good relationship with God. Maybe he doesn't need to wake up so early to pray. I think it would be Jesus. Yet he still needed and he guarded this private time to go and be with his heavenly father. So if Jesus needed to, needed to pray and if he knew the need so much, how much more then is our need to pray? Isn't that the truth? And that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But that point stands. He needs to pray. And notice where he goes to pray. It's a desolate place. It's not the exact same place that the temptation would have happened, but it's, it's the same kind of location. It's the wilderness. It's, the, uh, it's a desolate uh, wilderness that he goes out to. And so we see that once, what once was the domain of evil, Christ has conquered. He's, he's caused the devil to flee and now he's turned that place into a wonderful refuge where he can find communion and fellowship with his Father. And so here he is. He's enjoying this, this sweet communion, this, this conversation, this back and forth that he has with his Father in heaven. And all the while, his disciples wake up and they, they look around and Jesus isn't anywhere to be found. And so they start the search party for him. They hunt him down. That's the word. They, they track him down. There's a manhunt going on. And there is no, there is no Life 360 app. There's no, there's no Find My. There's no none of this. They do the search party. Simon and all the rest. And finally, they find him, and they, they come to him, and you can, you can hear some of the consternation they have. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? <laughs> Don't you know we have a whole day planned? I'm sure they probably talked about it the night before. This is great. This is awesome. Let's keep this going. We have a great thing here. Let's pick up right where we left off. This was that pivotal point in Jesus' ministry. What kind of ministry was Jesus going to have? His disciples had an idea. They were going to have the most incredible healing ministry ever known. It was going to be based out of Capernaum. It was going to be amazing. It was going to be wonderful. It was going to be epic. People from all over were going to come. Maybe they'd even start franchises. They'd start expanding out into all the region. They, it was going to be incredible. It's likely, too, that they had in mind for Jesus that they would keep him there. You know, some, some kind of uh, divine uh, prophylactic of sorts. Just in case, you know, a mother-in-law or a relative got sick again, Jesus would be right there. He'd be able to do a house call. They had their mind. They had their idea of what Jesus' ministry was going to be like. But that was not the mission that Jesus 
was sent out to do. Jesus is willing, he's able to heal, but he only does so in service of the greater ministry. That's the word ministry. That's his preaching ministry. What does he say? He says, we're going to go out so that I may preach. He's not concerned with simple sickness. He's concerned with saving souls. That's his ministry. So he turns to the disciples. He says, no. He says, go get your things. Because we're going to the next town. And then to the next And we are going to continue to proclaim the kingdom of God to them as well. I will preach to them because that's the reason why I was sent. They don't understand it yet. It's hard to blame them if we were there on that that Monday morning, Sunday morning I should say. We'd probably feel the same way. Look how wonderful, look at all these wonderful things we've seen. But we would have our minds set only on the earthly things, only on the physical healings. But why did the Son of Man come? They needed to learn that lesson. We all need to learn that lesson day by day. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to do what? To heal many? Mark tells us, no, He came to give His life as a ransom for his people. Jesus has little interest in giving you, giving me, giving us our best life in the here and now. But he offers us something much greater. He offers us eternal life with him. And with that eternal life come innumerable blessings. That's what he came to proclaim. And so as we come to a close this morning, we always want to ask the question, well, what what is the takeaway? What is the application for us? What am I to do? And before we even consider that question, though, could we sit for a while and consider and marvel at who Jesus is in and of himself? This amazing, amazing God that we serve. This eternal Son of God who is all glorious and powerful and mighty with the Father, equal with the Father, yet humbled Himself and took on the form of a servant so that He might serve us, not be served but serve, and give His life for His people. That is the God that we are called to serve. And so we should remember then that he is a man on a mission. And so have we taken his message and his mission to heart? Have we followed his gospel call to come and to be his disciples, to be his learners? Do we want Jesus for who he is in and of himself? Or do we see Jesus as, as a means to our own ends? Do we have some kind of misguided reason to follow Jesus that we Uh, want to do so for our own personal gain. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. So are we greater than our master? 
Or should our lives be marked by service and sacrifice as well? Do we share Jesus' need and His desire to spend time with His Heavenly Father? Do we share that desire? I wish I could say that I do, but I know that I don't. And we all need to to value that, that time of prayer like Christ did. But most of all, so many things we can glean from this passage, but most of all, remember and notice and see that in this story, we do get a glimpse and we get a promise of what life will be like when we are with Jesus face to face like those disciples on that day, like all those people and during His earthly ministry, they saw Jesus face to face. We will see Jesus face to face. And in His ministry, we get a glimpse and a promise of what that is going to look like. What is that going to look like? Well, first of all, there's no more sickness. There's no more pain. No sickness, no product of the fall has any, any place amongst Jesus in His holiness and in His righteousness, it cannot exist. They cannot coexist together. No more pain. There's no death. There's no loss. There's no guilt. There's no, no, uh, no uh, sin. There's nothing that can plague our conscience when we see Christ. Because when we see Christ, that fills all of us. There's nothing else that we can behold in those moments. By Christ alone. And so Jesus, he went into every town to preach this message of the kingdom of God that was coming and is now here, so that all would enter into that kingdom. And after his death, after his resurrection, he sent his apostles to go and to preach the same into all the world. It's not a message of earthly power, it's a message of heavenly glory. It's not a message of physical well-being, or any other momentary thing. It's a message of the glory and riches of Christ that we have in Him. That is the healer's message. So may God help us to sit at His feet and to hear it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are our great healer. We thank you for passages like this that remind us of your power and your might over sickness itself. And we pray that you would heal those of us who are sick. We are a needy people and we are in need of your mercy, Lord. But even more, we pray that your will be done in our lives. And we pray that we would believe in you and in your message that you have come to save sinners just like us. We pray in your name, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.